that Peter uh, used in uh, verse number 29, Acts chapter 5, verse number 29. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And by the way, I just want to say that ought to be our, that ought to be our uh, uh, verse that we live our life by. That if there is a discrepancy between what God tells us to do and what men tell us to do, there ought not even be a decision that's needful to be made. We ought to make that decision before we ever get into that circumstance that we will be obedient to God. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, Lord willing, if we get that far today, on uh, some of those things. I, I posted and uh, reposted an article this morning of the third pastor now in Canada, Alberta, Canada, uh, that was arrested for having his church meet together in a building. And uh, the government was saying you cannot have uh, more than 15% of your capacity in a, a public service. And yet they have opened it up for so many other things other than church. They just seem to be targeting churches. And this fellow did not feel like he could do what the Bible told him regarding worship and bringing the body together and the, uh, the church family together. And so they continued to meet, and they came two weeks ago and closed the church. They brought uh, the police and actually barricaded the building shut. And then last week, the church decided they were going to do what a lot of third world countries do, and they were going to have an undisclosed location outdoors, and they were still going to meet. And the police sent up helicopters and went looking for them in their open-air meeting and found them and came this past Thursday and arrested the pastor at his home, drug him away from his wife and eight kids. Folks, our, our decision for serving God, regardless of the cost, is quickly approaching. And we have had the luxury the last 200 or so years of un, uh, unmatched uh, religious liberty. In the, in the history of mankind, there's never been such religious liberty as we've enjoyed and as a result of that, we become very lethargic. We begin to allow things to happen, and our guard is not up, and we're not always uh, standing strong. And because of that, we've allowed so many things in the Christian, in Christian life, according to Scripture, we've allowed so many things to begin drifting. And we've been lulled to sleep with complacency because there's not been persecution. If you think about it, when persecution happens, Christians rise up. It's, it's actually a healthy thing for Christians, spiritually speaking, because we, we're on guard about that. We're firm, we're resolved, we're steadfast, and we don't let those things slip. But when we're lulled into complacency with absolute religious liberty and religious freedom that you and I have enjoyed in our lifetime, oftentimes we sit back and we allow things to go on that we would have never allowed to go on 100 years ago. We allow things to begin to slip in our society without taking a stand on them. And uh, we want to be biblical. We want to be scriptural. And it is our sole authority of faith and practice. The measure of our morals should never be uh, how far we are from the world. That should never be our measurement. Our measurement should always be how close are we to the Word of God. And for far too long we have kept our distance from the world, but understand the world has gotten worse and worse. And if that is always our standard of measurement, we'll drift right along with them. A distance away, but still right along with them. And so our, our standard, we must hold to the Word of God. By the way, that's why it's so important that we have the right Word of God. Uh, that's why it's so important that we hold to, in our church, the King James Version as the inspired and preserved, inerrant Word of God. 
we come to it with the premise that it does not have errors in it, that it has been supernaturally preserved by God and aided through the translation efforts of the King James translators by the Holy Spirit so that they have brought every word. We believe every word without exception has been brought across to the King James Version of our Bibles. And we don't look at it and say, well, they missed this word. We believe every word in here is profitable to us. The Bible has promised that it would preserve itself for all generations. And so uh, we just take it at face value and we believe that. That being said, we do not believe that the Bible contradicts itself. It does not contradict itself. It's an important principle when we look at what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks here. Because we will find in some places where it says one thing, and then we'll read in another place where it expounds further on the subject. And if we're not careful, we'll look at it and say, well, that's contradictory. But it really is not. It's complementary. It's something that is continuing on in the subject and the teaching of it. And we need to understand that from Scripture. So we come to it with the, the, the first and foremost understanding that the Bible is not going to con- contradict itself. If there's a seeming contradiction, then it has to be in how we are viewing one side of it or the other. Uh, it has to be in our understanding of it. So let's take a look at Scripture. Uh, we're going to keep your Bibles handy. We, we talked about two slippery slopes. Uh, one of them is the, the overboard, the absolute restrictive view that there's never a time that God is okay with divorce, that it's a, it's a horrible thing, it's a sinful thing every time it happens. And there certainly are times, and we found and a lot of people go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. We took time to look at those verses. Again, I'm going to move quickly through, so I'll probably just give you the references now through the material we've already covered. Um, but uh, in Malachi chapter 2, the Bible says that God hateth the putting away. In other words, it's something that He does not desire. And so uh, I want to make this very clear. I tried to make it very clear at the onset of when we started last two weeks ago. And it was brought up to me actually in the, in the, the transition period between two weeks ago and today. Um, and I am in full agreement with the, with the thought that was brought up, that God's first plan and God's first desire is for families not to be divorced. I am in full agreement with that. If, God, if we can have what is God's heart and God's desire on the issue, it would be that nobody ever get divorced. That, that certainly, and I do not refute that. I don't, I don't uh, think that that is an error with Scripture. I think the Bible clearly teaches that, that divorce was not even given from the beginning. It was not so from the beginning. God gave it to us as an exception because of the hardness of our hearts. And so understand that I do believe that divorce ought to be a, a last, an absolute, there's no other option to go to than this. That if there's any possibility of reconciliation with the family, it ought to be done. So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm teaching from Scripture to be me promoting people to go out and get divorced. That is not the case. That certainly is not God's heart. I would also say this, we spend a great deal of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which I believe is the major passage of Scripture where God allows uh, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, to expound in depth about this subject. And I also agree with this, that even in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, the emphasis Paul places on it is, if you're able to remain unmarried, after you've been divorced or you've been widowed or maybe you're still a virgin, you've not even been married at all yet, Paul said it's best 
if you can remain unmarried. But he said there's some that can't do that. They can't contain. They have to. They have to. There. They, they. There will be some uh, immorality involved if we don't. And he uses the phrase: if you're not able, if you're going to burn, then go ahead and marry. And you're not sinning. And he uses that phrase when you get married. Um, and so we're going to look at these things very, very carefully from Scripture. We don't want to take them out of context. I want to make sure that we take our time through this. There's a lot of material in the Bible on this subject, and my fear is that we will give it to you in a very clear and a very laid-out fashion, but simply because of the volume of it, we will miss half of it. When I was doing my pilot's license training years ago and was doing my ground school, the instructor said it's kind of like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. There was so much that you're only going to grab a part of it, and a lot of it's just going to go past you. You'll have to pick it up later. So I want to do justice to this. I want us to make sure that we get it well. There will be some things you'll probably not remember when you leave. You'll, oh, what was that point he made? We're trying to record these. And so as far as I know, all of them that we've done have been recorded. You're welcome to go back and listen to them. Um, if you have questions at the end of this, you, say, you may say, well, Pastor, what about this situation? What about that situation? If you'll write them down when we're all done with this, I'll try to address all of those questions from Scripture. And, um, and so if you have any of those when we're done, feel free to do that. All right, so we have two slippery slopes. We have the one that's the restrictive and, uh, but yet we find that in Ezra chapter number 10, during the time of Nehemiah, uh, there was actually, the, Ezra told the, the children of Israel to put away their strange wives and their, their children from other nations. And he goes so far as to say that God took pleasure in this. So we can't say that across the board there's just a never a time that God is okay with uh, divorce. There are certain exceptions that God gives that while it's not his first desire, he is okay with it. Uh, he realizes that there, is, uh, there are some exceptions there. And by the way, this will, you'll find, we're going to look at some of this today, this is in keeping with God's character. And so I want us to look very carefully at some of the Scriptures. So a lot of people uh, use Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 29. Let's take a moment to look there. And this is where most of our teaching... Uh, from our pulpits, or most of our uh, pointing to a scripture to support what we've taught for years, comes from Mark chapter number 10. And um, let's see if I can get the right chapter here. There we go. And uh, let's go to verse number 1. Mark chapter 10, verse number 1. And he rose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of the Jordan. The people resort unto him again. And he was a want as he, uh, he taught them. And as he was want, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him. Now notice the question they asked him. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Now that's the only question that is asked here. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Notice these two words. Tempting him. They were not interested in his answer. They are trying to trip him up in his response. So understand their motivation, first of all. And they ask a partial question here, at least Mark's account. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Now notice that Jesus answers here, and he answers according to the law that was given. And we're going to look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
specifically. That's what they're asking him about. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And again, I reiterate, God's first desire is for a family to remain together, if at all possible. I am not trying to sit here and say, everybody go out, and every time you have a problem in your marriage, get a divorce. That is not the case. But is it allowed? And that's the question we're asking in this whole study. Because we have taught it as it's not even allowed. There are exemptions, there are exceptions that God gives us here. Verse number 7, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one what? Flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What God, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. We've mistaught verse number 9. We've taught it this way. We've taught it as what God hath joined together, man cannot put asunder. That's what we've taught. It's not what it says. It says what God hath joined together, let not man put it asunder. He's referring to this bill of divorcement. He's teaching these Pharisees that said, but what about this bill of divorcement that Moses said? And, and, and Jesus answers and says, listen, God put them together. Don't let man put it apart. Okay, It doesn't say that he cannot. He says, this is my heart. This is my desire. Now, there's a parallel passage that's given in Matthew chapter number 19. Take time to turn over there. Matthew chapter number 19 is a parallel passage, the exact same instance. It's just Matthew's account of it. Okay? Very important that we, that we see this. Matthew chapter number 19. <clears throat> and let's begin in verse number 1 again. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came unto the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. The great, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Pharisees, the Pharisees also came unto him. Again, same thing here. This is the same account of the same instance. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And up until then, he and Mark are in full agreement with what the statement was. But Matthew adds something here, and we do not see it as contradictory, do we? We just see it that Mark didn't give the full statement. Whereas Matthew gives the full statement. So it's complementary to it. adds another piece of information to the question. And he says here, uh, these are what the Pharisees asked him. Is it lawful <coughs> for a man to put his wife away his wife for every cause? In other words, <coughs> can I just get rid of her if I don't like her anymore? If she forgot to wash the dishes this week, can I get rid of her? That's what the Pharisees were asking. Which, by the way, uh, a lot of people have said, well, it's dealing with polygamy in that day. If you actually study the time of the Romans during Christ's time, it wasn't so much polygamy the way we understand it, where they had a lot of wives all at one time. But they would, because they were so accustomed to giving bills of divorcement, if they got tired of a wife, they would give a bill of divorcement and then go and be with another woman for a week or two weeks or a month until they got tired of her and then give her a bill of divorcement, come back and marry their first wife again, bring her back in again. And they were, they were saying, oh, we're okay because we did bill of divorcements. 
And so these Pharisees are asking Christ, can we do that? Can we do it for any cause? Just write a bill of divorcement and we're okay to remarry. <coughs> now again, Christ answers here, specifically referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, which we're going to also look at here. And he answered unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Amen, by the way, <laughs> male and female. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Again, we've mistaught that verse. Now, I have heard taught, and I've had people come and say, Well, but wait a minute, Brother Greg. The Bible says here that when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, they are no longer two separate. They are now one. And that that union cannot be severed with the bill of divorcement. Let's hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 3. We did not look at this last time, but I want to bring this in. We're going to deal with this a little bit further down the road, but I want to go ahead and start with this. Jeremiah chapter number 3, and this is something that a lot of people who have mistaught this over the years in our churches either have, have not read or have read and decided they didn't want to bring it up, which happens quite a bit, by the way, when the Bible doesn't agree with what we believe. <laughs> we get to those hard passages and we try to ignore those because it doesn't match what I believe instead of digging into Scripture and saying, well, maybe my belief might be wrong. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 3 for a moment. They say, meaning the prophets, the people that were the religious leaders of the day, they say, the lawgiver, the people that were enforcing the laws, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again, shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot... With many lovers, yet return again unto me, or to me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lain with. In the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness. And thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with wickedness. Therefore, and by the way, this is fornication that God is speaking of here. Granted, it's in a spiritual application, but that's what he's referring to. Israel's unfaithfulness to him. Therefore, the showers have been withholden. There hath been no latter rain, and thou hast uh, a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt, not thou, uh, wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father? Thou art the guide of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldest. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. So continuous, even after the Lord sought after Israel and said, Listen, return to me, return to me. He's tried to reconcile. He's tried to reconcile. He's done everything he could. And verse number 7, And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. 
Is this God's fault or Israel's fault? It's Israel's fault, isn't it? And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committeth adultery. Notice what it says here. I had put her away and given her a what? A bill of divorcement. The bride of God at this point was the nation of Israel. She went out and was unfaithful to him. He pleaded. He tried everything he could to reconcile, but she would not. And God's response was, I have given her a bill of divorcement. A lot of people don't like to read that. Because if that's true, and we are, we are, if we've been correct on what we teach, God Himself could not qualify as a pastor of a church. And yet He's the head of the church. How does that work? We'll leave that for you to ponder. We'll teach on it a little further later and show you some of this. But this isn't an espousement. This is a marriage. Israel is the bride of Christ. He's the bride of God at this point. And uh, she's the bride of Christ at this point. And yet God, because of her whoredoms and because of her infidelity, because of her immorality, gives her a bill of divorcement. Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 24. And again, you know, we take Mark chapter 10 and we say, okay, if, if, a, if a man puts away his wife and she remarries, then that's adultery. Or if the man remarries, that's adultery. And we use that from Matthew chapter number 19 um, and uh, where it says, uh, wherefore, uh, this, I'm sorry, uh, Verse number 9 in Matthew chapter 19. I meant to go there first if you, if you want to go back and look at it with me. So Jesus still answering the, the Pharisees says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for what? Except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her is put away and doth commit adultery. Now, I've heard this verse taught. In fact, it was ironic that two weeks ago, when I taught on this subject, another very well-known pastor and friend of mine, another church, had another man in preaching on marriage in his church. And this fellow taught what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. He taught from Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 9 that what this is referring to is in the Jewish custom, uh, a man and a woman would be betrothed. Not yet consummated marriage, but betrothed. It would be like our engagement period. A little bit stronger than that, perhaps, but uh, they had not yet come together in marriage to become one flesh. And, and this fellow taught that, well, what this is talking about is up until that time where they've consummated the marriage, that this is allowed. That if you find some uncleanness in her during that betrothal period, and that's the only thing it's referring to. There's a couple of problems with that view, and I want to look at them very quickly. Fornication, the word fornication, is an umbrella word for all sexual immorality. It can include whether it be an unmarried person that's involved in sexual immorality or whether it's a married person 
and it includes adultery. Adultery by itself is a very, very narrow term and does not include someone who is outside of the bonds of marriage, but is only given for sins, sexual immorality, that is done under the bonds of marriage. Again, they'll say, well, that's just, they were under the bondage of the betrothal period. The problem is, as we get to verse number 9, <coughs> the Bible says, And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit what? Adultery. If she was just put away in the betrothal period, it wouldn't have been adultery. She would not have been married yet. It would have been fornication. The fact that Jesus uses the term that if she marries after the fact, after she's been put away, that it's committing adultery shows that it was an actual marriage that was fully consummated. It's the only way it, adultery could have happened. Now you say, are you sure about that, Brother Greg? Again, don't ask my opinion of it. Let's take a look at Scripture. What does the Bible say about it? Because my opinion really doesn't matter at all. But what the Bible says matters greatly. So let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 24. <coughs> When a man hath taken a wife, betrothed, and married her, consummated, full marriage here, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Now, what is this uncleanness? Jesus said it pretty clearly in Matthew chapter number 19. There was some sexual immorality that took place. Now, that does not mean that if a spouse goes out and has an affair, that you must divorce them. The Bible doesn't say that. And in fact, it was even God's desire in Jeremiah chapter 3, was it not, for Israel to what? Come back to Him. If there was any possible way to salvage the family and reconcile, that is God's desire. Do not get the idea that I'm encouraging people to divorce. What I'm saying is we've said it's a sin to divorce and remarriage for so many years, and I'm just showing us from Scripture that there are certain circumstances that we have taught that wrong, that God allows it, and it is not sin, it is not adultery. You say, how do you know that? Well, let's read on. So this is somebody who is married. He's not only taken the wife, but he's married her. So this marriage is fully done. He's found some uncleanness in her. Again, the first time something comes up, maybe the man is gracious. Maybe he loves her. Maybe he wants to continue to try to work it out. That's fine. That's his choice. But from that moment on, it's his choice. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, what does the next phrase say? She may go and be another man's wife. Now, if her remarrying another man is adultery, then you would have to say that God is saying she may go and commit adultery. And God would never say that, would He? God would never encourage someone to go and commit something that He's already said is a sin. In fact, so much of a sin that two chapters earlier, 
He says, if they're taken in adultery, stone them both to death. It cannot be adultery for her to remarriage in this case, or God would be encouraging adultery to take place. He would be allowing it, saying, it's okay, go ahead. It's adultery, but go ahead with it. That's not God. God would never tempt any man to sin. The fact that he gives this ability after this specific instance of uncleanness being found in her, a bill of divorcement written, and her being sent out, the marriage is broken. It is no more. Notice what the Bible says here. You say, Brother Greg, legally, lawfully, that marriage is broken, but spiritually, they are still united until death. No, no, wait a minute. Look with me, if you will, in verse number... Uh, three. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it to her hand, in her hand, and send her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, not her current, her former husband. Can we think of anything in Scripture, perhaps even in the New Testament, where Jesus spoke about a woman having more than one husband? woman at the well. How many had she had? She'd had five husbands. And the man she was living with was not her husband. This is an interesting thought. When she married her second one, she was no longer married to her first one. When she married her third one, she was no longer married to her second one. And every time she married another man, the previous husband was no longer a husband. The marriage contract had been broken. And we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 a little clearer, that there is also the fact that they are not under bondage in such cases, meaning that even spiritually they are free to remarry. Again, either that, or if you say, no, Brother Greg, any remarriage is adultery if a divorce is involved, then we would have to say that God in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is promoting adultery. It cannot be. Now, it's not for any reason. It's very specific, isn't it? What reason of divorcement does God say she's allowed to go and be another man's wife? if uncleanness is found in her. And by the way, we use her and him generically. It's reciprocal as well. We understand that, the principle of that. If there's an uncleanness found in the man, the same thing would hold true to the wife. So understand these things. Now, again, some people would say, well, are you sure that that's not dealing with somebody who is just betrothed? Because, again, you know, yeah, that's a little bit of a stretch, the first part of verse 1, when a man hath taken a wife and married her. Can you really definitively say that because those are two distinct statements that that's talking about the full marriage? I believe there's a case to be built for it, first by that statement alone. But I also want to look at the statement for Deuteron- in Deuteronomy chapter number 22, back up a couple chapters. And again, we have the same writer of Scripture here. And just a few paragraphs before he gets to what we've just read in chapter 24, he begins dealing with someone who is betrothed. 
And I want us to see how he, what he calls this one who is betrothed in Scripture and see if there's ever a time the betrothed is referred to as the wife. Okay, so let's take a look here in this particular case. And again, I'm using this in terms of this writer in this book, just a few paragraphs later, terming this, he's married her, it's his wife. What did he refer to the betrothed person in Deuteronomy chapter number 20? <clears throat> Excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter number 23. So let's take a look here in verse number, oh, let's see here. I need to go to this page to get those verses. Um, let's go down to verse number 23. Deuteronomy chapter 22. So this is where God is giving the law. Moses is writing these things. And he says in verse number 23, If a damsel... That's a unique term, isn't it? If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband and find her in the city and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out into the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, in other words, she was consenting to it, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife. So thou shalt put away evil from among you. But if a man find a betrothed, Damsel in the field. This is the terminology he uses. He uses it in verse number 25. In verse number 26, But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. In verse number 27, For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried. Verse number 28, If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, and which is not betrothed. In verse number 29, uh, Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father. We do not find that there is a terminology of the wife being used until we get to verse number 30. Now notice what verse number 30 says. A man shall not take his father's wife. This is not a betrothed person. This is someone who is fully married. So there's a distinction given here by the author of Deuteronomy. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, there's a distinction made between a betrothed woman and one who is fully married. So again, it takes the argument of Matthew 19 being the betrothal period, and even Deuteronomy chapter 4, some people say, well, they're arguing that that's the betrothal period. No, no. There is very clear argument and a well-established case that this is a fully consummated marriage. Uncleanness being found in her, she is, he is allowed to give a bill of divorcement, and she is allowed to go and remarry another man, and it is not sinful for that to happen. So there are exceptions given. You say, Brother Greg, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is. Amen. I'm thankful for that. But are there times in Scripture where God establishes a rule and then makes an exception for it? I can give you many, many of those. And we're going to give you just a couple in closing here for you to be thinking about this week. But let's take a quick look at a few of them here. Um, look in Matthew chapter number 5. And bear with me. We may start a minute or two late on our 11 o'clock service here. But let's look at Matthew chapter number 5. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching an awful lot of things. He makes very clear, very distinct statements. Matthew chapter 5, he says in verse number 22, 
But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, now that's an incredible thing there, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Anybody ever heard a preacher preach on this? We're not supposed to go around calling people fools because the Bible says we'll be in danger of hellfire. This is the clear statement. This is the general statement. We understand God's heart on the issue in this statement. Now, if you will, turn with me over to, um, let's go over to Matthew chapter 23. And uh, let's look at verse number uh, 14. Let's go to verse number 13. Jesus is speaking. Okay, very important we know who's speaking here. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye have shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering in to go, or to go in. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses for a pretense to make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves." Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is uh, nothing. But whoso shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye what? What's the next word there? Verse number 17. Ye what? What does Jesus call the Pharisees? Calls them fools, doesn't he? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. We have a contradiction of Scripture, don't we? Jesus said, you cannot call somebody a fool or you're in danger of hellfire. So what God does oftentimes, and we will find multiple illustrations of this, is He establishes the general rule so that we know the heart of God on the issue. And then, because He knows that we are sinful men, and He is a merciful God, and for the hardness of our hearts... He then begins to make some exceptions. And so we understand. We say, okay, well, obviously then, if we take both of those verses, he's not saying never to say fool. He's saying without just cause. Would we be in agreement with that? Without just cause? Did Jesus have a just cause to call these Pharisees a fool? Absolutely he did. So we look at this, we say, well, his will is, we don't do it. Generally speaking, I mean, just, you just don't do it. But if there's a just enough cause, you have to do it. You call it out. Again, if we find two passages on divorce and remarriage that seemingly conflict, the one establishes God's overall desire. This is what he really would like. This is his heart. But in these cases, it's allowable. And we'll take time. I've got a list of things next week that we'll show you where God establishes a principle. And if we take it and we preach on it, you would say there's never an exception to be made. And then we find somewhere in Scripture where he made the exception for us. That is in keeping with God's mercy. It's in keeping with his justice. It's in keeping with his long-suffering toward man. And even though oftentimes he says, this is my heart on the issue, he comes back and says, I know man cannot hold to that. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul even says it. It's better if you can remain unmarried. That's the best you can do. 
But if you can't contain, it's better to marry than to burn. And in that case, in those situations, with those specific Bible exceptions of uncleanness in the spouse, as we saw last a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 7, the abandonment of a spouse for Christ's sake and I believe even for the cause, and we'll show this a little bit more clearly next, or maybe even this afternoon at the 1 o'clock hour, uh, with regards to abusive homes and situations. I believe there is a biblical case to be made for that. Again, I don't want to misinterpret Scripture. What I want us to do is look at the whole of Scripture and realize that what may seem as a conflict to us, we don't get to pick and choose the things that just fit what we believe. We have to look at all of it. And we have to say, okay, what is God's heart on the matter? What is God allowing on the matter? And is it sinful or is it not sinful? And uh, I want us to look at those things. All right, we took a few minutes extra. We'll probably start at about 11.05 or so, 11.07. And so let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless and use it. Lord, may we rightly divide it. God, give us your aid of your Holy Spirit to understand it. Help us to realize the errors of how we sometimes have read and understood Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, in this matter to be right and to be biblical. Bless the service to follow and the 11 o'clock hour. May it be an encouragement help to us. And Lord, may you strengthen us. Thank you for those that are back with us again, some that uh, have been traveling, some that have been sick. And Lord, what a joy to have them back in the services again today. The folks from my place, Lord, what a joy to have them here in, in their Sunday school class. We pray that you'll bless uh, the remainder of the time that we have here together today in the time of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.